Here is a historic record of Jesus' resurrection from the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to him and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, that handsome scripture reader is my son. If you have a copy of God's word, I encourage you to open it to... Mark chapter 16, where Nathan just read from. If you do not, uh, they will be on the screen uh, as we go along. Well, I want to begin this morning by asking, what did you come here this morning expecting? We're all coming from different weeks, different seasons, different lives. But probably all of us came expecting to hear the message that Jesus died and rose again. So that's not a surprise. And yet, uh, some of us, if we're, if we're honest, we, we may say, you know, man, I love being here and, and singing these songs and hearing everyone sing and hearing the, the story read. And I'm just on the verge of tears almost, just, just being here. And yet, I also in my mind go, but I'm going to walk away and nothing's going to really change. And some of us are here and you, you say, yeah, I know what you're going to talk about. Um, I got it. Been there, done that. Um, really, I'm only here because my spouse uh, or my girlfriend or boyfriend, they, they made me come. And I just really want to know, like, how long are you going to make me sit here? And then if you heard that I'm long-winded, you got a little more afraid. Um, I'm usually not... Easter long-winded, though, so good news. Beyond the, cro <laughs> the cross and the grave, I'm a little shorter on Easter. But what did you come here this morning expecting, and what will we find, though we may expect the message, what will we find in, as Nathan said, Mark's historic account of Jesus' resurrection? Because Often, if we come expecting one thing and we find another, as we saw in that opening video, we can feel disappointment. We can feel emptied. And some of us, if we're really honest, that video hits closest to home. You fill in the blank. Is it empty nest? Is it, is it empty on the job front? Is it just, I just feel emptied and I can't put my finger on it. And that can lead to disappointment, lead to further emptying of a feeling. And where is God in all of that? I love that that video ended with emptiness doesn't always mean disappointment 
and heartbreak and gut-wrenching because sometimes the blank is filled in with empty tomb and that there is hope there. Well, I want to tell you a story of what I was expecting when I was 16 or about to be 16 and what I found and how I left after an experience. I'm going to tell you a story of two Jeeps. Now, some of you have heard me tell my two Jeep story, but as I was approaching the age of 16, I expected to have to save to uh, save for a cheap car someday. What I found was my dad's Jeep that he had bought for himself a few years back with a big blue bow on it. It was his beloved Jeep, and he gave me his beloved Jeep. It was a gift that I could not afford on my own. Well, that was the first Jeep. The second Jeep's actually the same Jeep, except for it's a burned Jeep. Burned meaning, yes, scorched, fire, totaled. Because the same 16-year-old, I think I'd maybe turned 17, maybe not even 17, I had failed. I had recklessly totaled it. I blame Phil Collins in the air tonight. It came on. <laughs> I was going over some hills. And on the way home, I ex- what I expected was to get what I deserved. I expected my failure to drive, uh, that, my failure that night to drive a wedge between me and my dad. If you want to make him feel uncomfortable, he's right over there. But I expected it to drive a wedge that could never be restored. That's, that would have been a good expectation. But what I found was care and mercy and forgiveness. And instead of distance between father and son, my failure was met with his love. Restored me and bonded us like I never expected. And I left that night never the same because of the picture in the embodiment of unconditional love. Well, this morning we joined Mark's account of Easter morning, and Mark has us follow a few women who had expectantly been following Jesus for some time along with his disciples. Uh, In their most recent 36 hours-ish, they found their hopes literally crucified and buried with Jesus. And now it's early Sunday morning, They're making their way to his grave. They're probably making their way before the sun has come up. And as they're arriving, the sun is just peeking over the horizon. And Mark will unveil for us in his account that the women were surprised because of what they expected and then what they found. But it should have not been or been not surprising what they found that morning. And then Mark will let us know how they left that jaw-dropping experience. So first, we're going to see what they expected, and therefore they were surprised at sunrise because of what they expected and what they found. Look at verses 1 through 4. It'll be on the screen as well. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So Mark lets us know right away what they expected. They expected to anoint Jesus' dead body. They expected to complete an honorable burial for their friend and Lord. They expected to grieve the loss of their Lord and their hope. You talk about an empty feeling. Resurrection was not what they expected. 
In fact, we see that these women spend time and money to buy uh, very expensive aromatic spices. These were usually associated only with royalty. Resurrection was not what they expected. Though Jesus had promised that he would rise from the dead, and he did that multiple times. But they didn't expect Jesus to be resurrected. They still had that feeling in their gut of loss. They had that feeling in their gut of, was I a fool? But they still had that love in their heart that motivated them to come and show one last act of loving devotion and provide some final dignity to his lifeless corpse in that cave. So traveling to the cave as dawn was breaking, an unex- excuse me, an expected predicament dawns on them. Verse 3. They were saying to one another as they're walking, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So <laughs> they're expecting that, oh yeah, there's that giant rock, that giant stone we're not going to be able to move it. And <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to be able to do that because it's going to be too difficult to move. It's a very large stone, and the tomb had also been sealed, and there was a guard there, though they didn't seem to know that. So their expected predicament of how we're going to move the stone is actually met in verse 4 with an unexpected opening. Look there at verse 4. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. The stone had been rolled away. Well, Mark isn't interested in telling us how the huge stone was moved. Notice that. Because Mark isn't interested in that. The stone was not moved so that Jesus could get out. It was moved so that the women could get in and find what they did find on that day. Which made, and we, we find them even more surprised by what they found, verses 5 to 7. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So they were surprised at sunrise. And now, by by the, uh, the stone being moved, and now by what they find... Remember, they expected, what they expected was to go and anoint Jesus' dead body if they could even get in the closed tomb. What they found was a Jesus-less tomb. He's not there. And they found a young man whose dress signifies to us, and his message signifies to us that he is actually an angel. And they were, what's their response? They were amazed. And you see in this passage, actually, there's a couple of different times, amazed, or some of your translations may say alarmed, uh, utterly amazed. There's a couple of different words used in these, ver- these eight verses that basically hit all aspects. There's sort of that, whoa, like positive, like I, I, I can't even imagine, like wonder and amazement. And then there's, whoa, like I, I 
I'm coming unnerved, unglued, afraid. It's both. It's all of those aspects rolled into one. They were amazed by what they found. They're awestruck, exceedingly fearful. One of those where you, you just can't put things together. They were, they were that way because of what they found, and they were overwhelmed with the sense of God's power. And the angel, instead of rebuking them, reassures them, Jesus is alive. Look, look again at verse 6. It says, Do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. That verifies his death. And he was in this tomb, so he was dead, dead. He has risen. He's not here. And then the angel invites them to look before he's going to tell them to leave. Uh, He says, behold, that means take this in. Here's the place where they laid him. He's not there. And then he commissions them to go. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they were surprised, shocked alarmed, amazed. And yet, the angel saying, so you're amazed, you're alarmed, you're surprised, but this actually should not be surprising to you. Because Jesus plainly spoke of this. In fact, we're going to look really quick. Mark 8, Mark 9 and Mark 10. Mark 8, the next slide. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. This is um, the account where he says, Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, Well, you're the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, Ding, 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 that's right. And here's what must happen to him. And then Peter rebukes him. He says, no, 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 that should never be. That doesn't fit my categories of how you should be as Messiah. And Jesus says what? Get behind me, Satan. You're interested only in man's interest and not God's. So that was chapter 8, chapter 9. Next slide. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement. And they were afraid to ask him. One more, chapter 10. Now we're getting closer to Jerusalem. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him, scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. In case you thought, Jesus never said said anything about resurrection. It's all over the place. Now, I think we should actually be encouraged. The disciples who were with him all the time and heard it, it was probably more than these three times. These are the three recorded here. It should have been not surprising to them, and yet they couldn't put it together. They're like, wait a second. No, you're the conqueror. You're, you're going to take Rome off of us. We're going to be free. We're going to rule, and we're going to be on your right and your left. In fact, in the... Uh, in this account, is where they start arguing again about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so he says, this should not be surprising. But when he, the angel tells them, go tell his disciples and Peter, he's, Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. That's the next slide. He actually told them this in Mark 14. He's telling them right before he's going to be betrayed and crucified, 
He says, you'll all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, that's Jesus, and the sheep, his disciples, will be scattered. And they scattered quickly. Peter, at least, was at a distance somewhere. And the women, occasionally, we're told, are in the scene at a distance. But he says, but after I have been raised. This is when he's with them in the upper room, right before he's going to be betrayed. He says, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Not surprising. Not surprising. And yet, they were so, you know, rug pulled out from underneath you in, in the, the biggest kind of way because of the crucifixion, because of his being in the tomb. That's what they expected to find that morning, and they didn't. And their categories are blown. And if they barely had this as a category, that's why they're surprised. And yet the angel says, he's not rebuking them. He's like, Look, listen, this shouldn't be surprising to you. Remember how he told you this? Even saying that he will meet you and Peter in Galilee. By commissioning these women at this moment to go and tell the disciples to rendezvous with the risen one in Galilee, Jesus is preparing to resend the ones who scattered on him. He takes them back to where he first sent them, the area of Galilee, to restore and relaunch them as his witnesses. Notice especially that Peter is singled out. Most likely, we believe from tradition, that Mark got most of his account for his gospel from the eyewitness of Peter himself. Peter is singled out in Mark's account here. And this implies forgiveness for his three denials. After he bragged that he would never deny or never scatter on Jesus, he denies him three times, and then he hears, This saying, I'll meet the disciples in Peter, implies that forgiveness for those denials, and it has a view toward restoration of the relationship and service for Jesus as his sent one, which is what apostle means. So when Jesus told them that he'd be struck down, they'd scatter, yet he would rise and see them again in Galilee, this shows, I want you to hear this, this shows that Jesus foreknew their failures. And Jesus knew that their failures would not and would never be unforgivable. So it's a jaw-dropping morning from what these women expected and yet what they found in the empty tomb. Well, how did they respond to what they saw and heard? Mark tells us in verse 8, look there, how, how is it that they left that morning? Verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. Some of your translations say seized them. Like it is something out of your own control and you are gripped. Trembling and astonishment had gripped them and they said nothing to anyone. Why? For they were afraid. And again, here, afraid on all aspects of that. There was a, I'm in, I'm in a divine moment. I'm around deity. I am around divine power, and I can't put it together. And it says they left stunned and silent. They left fast, it seems like, and they left, as some would say, you drop your jaw down, aghast at what they had witnessed. They are gripped by what they can't quite grasp. 
Now they're gripped in silence for a time by this unnerving fear, but we don't know how long the time. It doesn't seem like they're silent for long because they do go and tell the disciples. Well, Mark describes them scrambling out in this soul-shaken silence. And some of you, if you're looking at a Bible, some of you say, may see verse 9 with parentheses around of it. Some of you may have a space in your Bible, and it'll say, um, most manuscripts do not include this section. Now, we're not here to have Bible higher criticism, whatever. <laughs> we're not here to do that. I just want you to know that, that it's very likely Mark ends his gospel in verse 8. I want to tell you that because what did we expect when we come to a gospel? Well, we expect him to die and to rise and to be seen. But Mark doesn't have an appearance if this is the last verse. He doesn't have an appearance of Jesus. He has the empty tomb and the angel saying, go and tell them. And they go and they're stunned and they're silent. What we'd expect and what we find in Mark are not, they don't jive. Let me give you a really strong example. What we would expect from Mark back in these days would be to actually to not include women as witnesses. That's not from me. That's in that culture. A woman's word was considered not valuable. The other gospel writers and Mark not only include women as witnesses, they are the primary ones. And for Mark, they are the only ones. We'd also expect Mark to have the women respond differently, but we find them stunned in silence and afraid. We'd expect Mark, the gospel of action, which is what it is, over 40 times he says, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. We'd expect Mark to have Jesus make appearances, show some miraculous proofs. Mark gives one, the empty tomb. And that doesn't conclusively prove that Jesus is resurrected because all someone would have to do is produce his dead body to prove that he didn't rise. Well, that's what we'd expect and what we find in Mark. Well, how do we leave? How does he leave us? Mark's gospel of action has shown Jesus serve people, confront the religious bigwigs, and heal lots and lots of people. But then after he heals people, strangely, often Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone. And what do they do? They go and tell everyone. Well, now that he's risen, the message to these women is go and tell that Jesus is risen. And at least for a time, they're silent and tell no one. What we would expect and what we find from Mark leaves us a little empty, maybe disappointed. Why does Mark end his gospel so abruptly and so unimpressively? Well, I believe it's because he wants you and me to enter the story. Because the story doesn't end there, but that's where Mark ended his historic account of the gospel. But it's also the way he begins his gospel. The next slide here, Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You can go to the next slide. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how Mark begins it. 
And he ends it by showing that he's the Son of God because he's risen from the dead in power. Mark is saying, I want to leave you right here to invite you to enter the story, to invite you to ask, what do I do with this one who is not here because he is risen? Now, I started by saying, why did you come here? What were you expecting this morning? And I'd still say that, but I'd also ask, how will you enter the story? You may be like many friends I have who aren't sure what to do with Jesus. And so there's sort of this half-hearted expectation. Well, I haven't really kind of figured him out, but I'm I'm pretty sure everything's just going to work out okay. Just want to tell you, Scripture is clear. Apart from relationship with Jesus, it won't. Or you may be sitting here thinking, I love this story. I love these songs. It makes makes me cry or almost cry every year, and yet I fear I'm going to walk away completely unchanged by it. Jesus wants to say, behold, behold the story, enter in, and he invites you to enter the story, you to consider who then is this, that not only do the winds and waves obey him, but death cannot hold him. For many in Jesus' day, what they expected in Messiah, as we've already said from the disciples, they couldn't get it, but there were those who were cynics, critics, and rejecters of him. What they found, what they expected, and what they found left them not only disappointed, not only disillusioned, but they became actively hostile, and they they moved into conspiracies with people they didn't even like just to do away with Jesus. What does that tell us? That we can't just go, oh, yeah, Jesus, I know he died and he rose, and just, just be flippant about it. We can't just go, well, he's a nice guy and he taught some nice things. You cannot do that. We cannot do that. Because when someone rises from the dead, that changes everything. But many in that day, they didn't find what they wanted, so they rejected his offer of the kingdom for his people of forgiveness and his offer of life. They rejected him and they yelled, crucify him. And some of us here are like those who originally rejected Jesus. You expect to have him on your own terms, but he doesn't answer to our terms, nor will he be boxed in to fit your requirements. Scripture says that all of us fall short of God's glory. All of us fall short of God's requirements. We can't make up that gap on our own. But what is required to be in right relationship with God? If we all have sinned and that sin separates us from God and we're on our way to spiritual death, separation from him forever apart from something, what is it that can put us right with God? How can you and I be saved from the penalty that we all deserve the penalty for sin. Well, there's a pastor named Alistair Begg, and a couple years ago, he did a sermon, but this is about two minutes of it. And I just want you to listen. Many of you know that Jesus, when he was crucified, was, was in the middle, and there was one on his right and his left, and they both were mocking him at one time. And then um, the thief on the cross, that we call him, 
one of them, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so I just want you to hear, I think as we think about what is it that is required of you because of your sin to be in right relationship with God, what would you say? Would you say, well, it's because I've, I've done this X, Y, and Z. Is it because I've kept my nose clean or I'm at least my nose is cleaner than that guy and that lady? What is required? Watch this video. And then we'll if continue. you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend, You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, ne- you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Think I'll get the supervisor ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. So Mark, was he's entering, he's inviting you and me to enter the story. He's asking, what do you do with Jesus? And as he said, if you were to die and you were to stand before him, and he'd say, well, why should I let you in? What, which requirements do you meet? If any statement is, well, I did this or I believed that, he's right. It, it needs to begin with, he is this. He did this for me in my place. He died a death that I deserved so that I could have his life, which I don't deserve. It's only mercy. It's only grace. And all we can do is fall on him trusting him and what he did for you and for me on the cross. And the only reason why we would do that is because he rose from the grave. If he didn't rise from the grave, this is the biggest foolish thing we're doing right now. You got in pastels for nothing. But he did rise. And he's saying, you don't get to make up the terms. You don't get to compare yourself with somebody else. It's, do you understand? And will you Believe and trust the one, the, the man in the middle cross, who simply says, it's a gift. Receive my gift. Receive what I did for you in taking your place, taking the brunt of God's, or the full cup of God's wrath on myself 
in your place. Jesus says, we can't make up our own terms. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so he's offering a beginning. The women left the tomb, the empty tomb, and yet it never left them. They went out that day to gain some closure, but their lives were opened up, and they're never the same. They were gripped by what they couldn't grasp. But Jesus' resurrection transformed what they thought was a hopeless end into an endless hope, and that's the invitation to you, to a beginning, to a beginning of life. That doesn't mean a carefree, worry-free, problem-free life. No, it just means now you are with him and he's with you in that worry-filled, trouble-filled life. And he promises one day, if you are with him, if you are in Christ, you will be with him forever. He's offering you that beginning. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question for you. Do you believe this? Now, some of you are like Peter. You're not like the thief on the cross. You've already come to a place of, of understanding your need for a Savior and trusting Jesus. But you're like Peter. You expect the opposite from Jesus. You don't expect him to say, hey, tell the disciples and Peter to meet me. You expect him to say, the disciples accept Peter to meet me in Galilee. You're pretty sure in your mind that everything in my life will be empty and hollow from now on because I have failed. I've distanced myself from the Lord. This life I've been living of gnawing regret and shame and hiding these past few months, few years, it's what I deserve. It's all I will ever have. That may be what you're thinking. Jesus' resurrection and invitation to meet up with him again says, Peter or Buddy or insert your name, I know your failures, but they're not unforgivable. He's offering you not a beginning today, but a new beginning. He wants to restore you from a dabbling failure to a restored follower. His resurrection is not the end, but the beginning. The question is, how will you enter the story, and how will you leave today? Worship team, would you come up? Let's pray. We're going to sing of his resurrection, and then I will have a closing benediction. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are shocked if we really take to heart that you love us unconditionally, that we can do nothing to clean ourselves up, and that you did everything that should have been ours. You took all the punishment. You took all of God's wrath for us. And so we praise you that the resurrection not only displays God's power, but it says everything about you, your mercy, your grace, your offer of forgiveness and life has been paid for in full, and it is true, and it is a free gift. Not free to you, it costs you your life, but it's free to us. And we're simply to open our hearts, believe in our hearts that you, Jesus, are who you say you are. You are Lord, and that you are risen from the dead. I pray if anyone in here 
maybe for the first time is hearing you saying, I'm inviting you to beginning this relationship. I pray that you would help them find the words and help them know they don't have to have perfect words, but simply to trust you fully with their life as Savior. And I pray that they would leave here with a hunger and a thirst to follow you as Lord. And for us, many of us in here who have a relationship with Jesus, but we've come from different seasons, different weeks. We have blown it. We have failed you. We have just maybe gone numb. I pray that this morning you would reignite our hearts, that you not only invited Peter to be forgiven and then be restored, that you're inviting us, that our failures are forgivable because of your grace, your mercy. And Lord, if we think when you look at us that you roll your eyes and you just got to tolerate us, Lord, help us see that that's unbiblical, that you are gentle and humble in heart and that our sin doesn't repulse you away from us. It actually ignites your heart to move toward us in compassion. And I pray that that, Lord, would stir us to desire that new beginning that you want to start today. You are risen from the dead. Because of that, we have life that's secure, an eternity that's secure one day, but it's an eternal life we have now and there is purpose There's meaning, there's value in the next day, the next steps we take. May it be in following you. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing. I'll have a benediction. i
you to come and you would just say simply believe in me and you will have eternal life thank you for coming I'm going to give us a benediction as we go if you don't have a church home we would love to welcome you back um, in the coming weeks we've got actually a good good crop of new folks you could fold right in with them uh, and it's just it's just this is a loving church a genuine church we're not impressive but we'd love to love on you and be loved on by you. But most of all, we want to celebrate his love for us that when we blow it, he invites us back again and again. So um, let me close with this benediction. First Peter 1 and Colossians 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you are in Christ, hear these words. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed again, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Happy Easter. Enjoy the rest of your day with your family and friends. Thank you.